Hello and welcome to Woke Finance, the podcast discussing all things finance related and all things related to finance. It's your boy Peter and I'm with my co-host Jax. How are you bro? Peter, I am very, very well. I'm very excited for this episode. I've got one of my brothers on this episode. I'm so excited to hear him speak about the things that he's doing and so on and so forth. So I'm really looking forward to it. Come on, come on, come on. As you say, you got one of your brothers. I'm going to hand over to you to welcome him in the building. Okay, so today we've got one of my closest friends. He goes by the name Kweku Asari. He is the founder of Change for Ghana and also Kweku's Kitchen. A very good friend, a very kind, warm-hearted person, someone who makes me laugh day in, day out. And I'm also learning a lot from him as well. So Kweku, welcome to the episode. Oh, thank you, Jack. Thank you, Peter. It's literally, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you both for uh, having me, inviting me to this platform, inviting me to talk about my various initiatives, my Change for Ghana and also Quaker's Kitchen. I'm excited. Brilliant. I really appreciate that. And it's absolutely a pleasure to have you on the show. And um, yeah, man, we, we're just going to have a nice discussion as we do on the podcast, um, just to really get to know a bit more about you, Kweku, and to know some of your inspirations. Jack's introduced you, um, you know, as a director of a few different things. So we're going to go into that as well. And as you said, you're a subscriber of all of, um, of Woke Finance on different uh, platforms. So Massive shout out to you for that. And a massive shout out to all of our listeners as well, man. We admire, we appreciate you. And we just continue to ask that you continue to share, like, subscribe and comment and do the usual. So Quakey, man, how are you in general, man? It'll be good to hear from you how you've been during this strange period. My bro, you know what? What I was called strange period, I've called one of the biggest blessings for me um, personally. Mm. I feel like last year has made all of us, whether we like it or not, take a time off, cool down, reflect, mm. and you know, analyze how life has been and how the year has been. And I think many of us went into 2019, or approaching the end of 2019, with so much, oh, 2020 is going to be my year, 2020 vision. You've heard so much sayings, you know, so much posts that normally happen towards the end of every year. You know, mm. 2020 is going to be my financial breakthroughs. I'm going to get married. I'm going to do so many things. And I think with all things, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, so with all things, I would say, me and Jack have this kind of conversation all the time, God willing. And I feel like last year has played why it's so important to put everything. It's good to plan, but also to take into account that God willing, it's not, tomorrow is not a promise. As much as we can plan for tomorrow, plan for our birthdays, our, you know, how we want life to, you know, save up everything, you know, nothing's promised. You know, I would say we've got, without our health, without a, a sound mind, without, um, you know, being able to move, see, hear, all our senses, we, we can't achieve most of the things we, we plan. And mm. that's what's important, uh, I feel. And last year has really emphasised the importance of family and friends, being able to check in your loved ones. Unfortunately, not everyone that we started 2019 with was able to end 2020 with us. And, you know, rest in peace for all those who we lost, our family, friends, close family, friends. Um, neighbours, you know, so many people who lost through this pandemic mm. and it's only God's grace we're still here and we're still able to witness a new morning, a sunny weather in May um, and God is just gracious and I think for me, um, you know, just keeping your, love, your loved ones close to you, checking your family, checking on your friends and making sure everyone's okay. You know, we, we live in a generation where people may appear okay but until you actually speak to them or visit them or see them, 
you might tell you a different story. So please, everyone listening in, check on your loved ones, check on your friends. Um, don't take the social media, what they depict on social media as gospel. Pick up the phone. When somebody, I've, I've been going through the whole last year, when a name pops in my head, I literally pick up the phone, try yeah. and call them. If I, can't, if I get, can't get through to them on the phone, I drop them a message. Hey, Jax, how are you doing? Um, you know, you just popped in my head. I hope you're doing well. That That's enough. If they respond, great. If they don't respond, um, then you can try another time. But at least they'll know, they'll know you've dropped them, checked on them, and hopefully that will, that will engage them to also reach out and hopefully you can start a conversation. Hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm glad we're here. Yeah, man. Really, really, really appreciate that, Quakey. That spoke to me a lot, man. Even just the... You know, when, when someone pops into your head, don't just wash it away. Literally check out on them, man. Check up on them, how they are. It sounds like you've definitely come to a place of proper gratitude. Just even the fact that you have your senses as well and showing love to those around you, man. So, yeah, man. And we echo, you know, the, the our thoughts with those that have lost loved ones during the season. So, yeah, man. F- thank you very much for that, Quaker. Really appreciate it, man. J- Jax, just even on that as well, um. Of course, it's been a very tough period um, for obvious reasons, but what would you say is the one thing that is almost been an unexpected outcome for you in a positive way during this period? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, you know, initially I took things a bit differently to Pepe. I think initially for me, when um, we were all caught into lockdown, I saw it almost as an opportunity to really ramp up business because what it gave me was extra time. Um, and so, you know, of course I'm a, I'm a coach uh, and I do a lot of financial education and I thought, you know, I can bring my business um, online and really ramp up um, my ability to attract new clients and that kind of stuff. So that was one of the biggest benefits of the pandemic. It actually gave me extra time. The times that I would have used to commute to work and that kind of stuff, I was able to, um, you know, spend with clients and that kind of stuff and do things more digitally. I would say that's been um, a very positive outcome from um, being actually locked down, learn how to innovate during periods that you couldn't um, have foreseen, basically. Um, but I do echo what, what Kweku is saying, because as time went on, even though those things became a, a pro for me, they started to become a bit too much because then I started to find myself overworking and, and overdoing things. Um, so again, having that balance um, of not just, you know, working too hard, but actually enjoying your time. Um, you know, the time you're commuting, you can actually enjoy maybe an extra hour of sleep and that kind of stuff. That's been, that's also been something I've kind of added to my day-to-day routine, really trying to find that balance. Brilliant, man. Thanks for sharing, bro. And yeah, definitely in agreement in terms of adding something to your, that time we would have been spending, whether it's commuting or doing other things, um work related that we don't maybe not have to do right now in this world what can we replace it with that's productive uh for our lives and you mentioned sleep jokingly but some people actually need a bit more rest yeah some people need to be doing other things as well so yeah absolutely man such a strange time but like uh Quake was saying you know in, in in all things you know we gotta be thankful um and there's opportunities in all situations man and um you know, Quake, you mentioned all of this um, and all of this doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's come because of, you know, your own experiences, what you've seen in your life. So it'll be good to go a bit more into that in terms of your 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 background, Quake, you know, where you're from, where you grew up um, and yeah, what you've currently been doing over the last few years as well, just in, in general. And we can go into a bit more deeper later on as well. 
All right. Um, yeah, I was born in Ghana. Came here at the age of six, six, seven. Um, unfortunately, I got sent back. Um, you know, most of you might be able to relate. Um, Why did you get sent back? What was you? Uh, okay, the reason for this, or this my dad's reason. Apparently, I was too naughty, so I was too you know troublesome in school. I got into a couple fights. You know, uh, got suspended. I think once. Oh, I spelled. I think yeah, that's what it was before. Got spelled once for. Um, I think what was it? I flicked a stone. I threw a stone on somebody's head. And yeah, it wasn't there. <laughs> it wasn't the most pleasant, pleasant uh, experience. But I think that was the last one for my dad. I was under the um, I was under the impression I was going Ghana for a holiday, and my dad just happened to come back and left me there. Um, I was there for three years. It came up a few times back and forth, and I said, like, "What well, is my holiday not over yet?" And unfortunately, my holiday was meant to be three years, so hence why I was still in Ghana for three years. So I came back at the age of thirteen. And that's been pretty much been here since. Um, so I've spent majority of my life in London. Mm. Um, I've lived across Northwest London, uh, North London, Edmonton. I've lived in um, West London briefly, and I currently live in East London, Hackney, with um, Jacks, or well, not with Jacks, but the same neighborhood as Jacks. So that's just, um, so yeah, that's where I am now. Right. And in terms of um, you know, I've you know, I'm a very passionate, patriotic Ghanaian. Um, which is part of the reasons why I started Change for Ghana, which is just basically uh, what we're trying to do is bring together the community of Ghanaians in the diaspora and to um, to help us understand that we have a responsibility to Ghanaians, those in vulnerable communities in Ghana, so that we just, we're not just Ghanaians abroad, but we're Ghanaians that take the matters of Ghana seriously and we're willing to help through collective efforts. Uh, hence, hence why the inception of Change for Ghana and we've you know since inception, we've done a lot of amazing work for communities back home, mainly underprivileged communities in Ghana. Um, we've been open since 2018 as an organization. We're registered on Companies House. Um, we do all the due diligence that we have to do as a company. Uh, we're very transparent. That's something we, pr- we pride ourselves on. We take very, we take a lot of pride and how transparent in every income that we get, how we spend our money, how we spend the donations, the fundraisers we get from different events, and that's literally been what um, that is what has kept us going. We had enormous support from our um, from family, from friends, from strangers, from just people that just got a heart to help those back home, and we've been doing amazing work, which I'll touch upon uh, briefly later on. That's so amazing, Craig, man. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, rightly so, we're going to go into a bit more about some of the great and needed work that you've been doing via Change for Ghana as well, man. So just a big shout out to you and your team is, um, that's been doing the, the great work. Um, when Jax introduced you, um, he also spoke about the fact that you are a chef as well. Um, so it'd be good to hear a bit more about that because that's something you haven't mentioned, but of course plays a large part in your life as well. Um, I am just reflecting on that long holiday that you took. Um, and I'm sure, I don't know about you, Jax, but I could definitely relate in terms of knowing a few people that went away for a holiday and all of a sudden, yeah, they didn't come back for a couple of years. Well, well f- funny enough, in 2002, I, I was also um, taken on this holiday, but <laughs> I was very proud today. <laughs> I recognised that it was very, very quickly and managed to sneak my way back. <laughs> but um, yeah, we I know quite a few people that were um, at least threatened with the um, the threat of being 
sent back to um, um our original homes, which is in Africa or the Caribbean. You, you or, know, or anywhere else actually in Asia as well. I know quite a few Asian friends that were threatened as well. Wow, Jax, I think we might just need to do a whole other episode titled The Holiday and <laughs> The Long Holiday. <laughs> Find out what people got from the experience. But Quakey, I, I actually on that, you know, when you, you know, you 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 went back to Ghana, how, how do you feel that, re- you know, that relates to your life now? Because you spent, you was a bit older. I'm sure you can remember how it was as well. How do you think that relates to your life right now, actually? I think... That holiday, uh, that's what we're calling it now, that holiday was really an eye-opener. I thought that holiday brought me back to home. I think that's the phrase I think I like to coin it. Mm. Um, it made me realise how privileged we are being abroad and how privileged we are. You know, we, we don't choose where we're born. Our parents give birth to us wherever they want um, and we just come into the world. But I think being being from both sides, you know, being uh, Ghanaian, born in Ghana and also being privileged enough to be able to join my parents here has given me best of both worlds and I kind of understand I empathize um, with Ghanaians back home that live the average life and not from the let's say the 2% richest population or richest group of people in the, in the country in Ghana and the average Ghanaian you know the average person lives their family and it's not life is not easy back home and I feel being, being exposed to that being able to see that aspect allows me to everything I do here kind of makes me think back home. How can we better the lives of those back home in ways that we can help without without sacrificing too much, but also helping people to become more, more empowered to do more for themselves and their family. So providing people with the tools, not just doing it for them, but providing them the tools for them to also be able to fend for themselves and fend for, um, feed their family, essentially. Um, so yeah, being, being here is... is, is you know, everything I see, everything I do, you know, from getting a job, from being able to get safe transport that gets us from A to B, nice roads, you know, scenery, buildings, there's such a huge gap. But I feel um, us being in a position of our age group, um, the generation we're in, we kind of been exposed to both worlds, which allows us to be able to um, shift our skills, our knowledge, our skill set, uh, our skill sets, and our resources, um, monetary as well, to facilitate this growth and this development back home in the, on the continent, whether in Ghana, whether in Nigeria, Sierra Leone, Congo, wherever it is. I feel we all share that common drive to make Africa a better place. And I feel we all, anyone listening, can take take a good contribution on their part to better the nation in whatever way they possibly can. And I feel collective effort is very important. It's great that everyone's been the first to do something. That's that's all played out. N- none of the biggest millionaires that we know did anything by themselves. Mm. Anyone that tells them self-made, uh, no, I don't believe in the term self-made because I feel, you, you, first of all, God, God is the reason why we are, we are we get to a lot of the places we are. And whether it's an investor, and if an investor put money towards a business, it doesn't make you self-made because the investor's money is what allowed you to be where you are today. So, you know, I feel collective effort is very important. And I feel as a community of black people, um, a community of Ghanaians, Nigerian. I think it's very important. We work together before we start competing with each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Collaboration is key. As you said, we can't do this alone and we need to be in a humble mindset to actually understand that as well and really understand the power of working with others as well, man. So definitely appreciate that, Kweku. And before I just um, ask you to 
touch on some of the other things that you get up to outside of um, Change for Ghana. Um, in order for you to do all of this work um, in Ghana, back home, whatever that may be, you'll obviously ideally need to either have a, a certain net level of knowledge around business or finance or know people that have that uh, level of knowledge. Um, what is probably the one thing that you learn about finance-related stuff growing up? You know what? I wouldn't say I knew much about financial literacy growing up, uh, per se, but I feel I've always been hands-on person, and I'm not I, I'm not lazy. I like to make money. Uh, I like to buy the things I feel like I deserve to have, and I like to work, work for what I have. Um, so the first experience of actually making money was when I was 13, came back from Ghana, um, my dad was not very given in the money sense. So I literally said, I'm going to find a job to help me pay, to help me get my, you know, the Air Forces back in those days, the great night, uh, night track suit from JD Sports. Um, so literally I did a newspaper rounds. So when I was at the age of 30, I was doing newspaper rounds. I think, I can't remember how much I used to pay. I think it was three pound per day or whatever to deliver a newspaper around my neighborhood to my neighbors. So that was my, actually my first income I made. Uh, and even then, because we didn't, we couldn't, we didn't have an iron number. Mm. Money was going from my dad's account and he was giving the money to me. So mm. uh, that's my first time I actually made money. And the second time, um, then I got a job. I got my nine number, started working super drugs as a retail assistant. Then I got a job in New Look, an uh, also circus as a um, sales assistant. So in financial literacy, I knew how to make money. And I feel, I feel I'm looking back, looking back now, I had more money pre 18 than I did then like in terms of the work rate how I worked and how I stayed I kept money and how money goes I'm I can't now all my expenses my my liabilities is crazy so I had much more to say but I guess looking back at it the most I paid for was my 25 pound um T-Mobile bill which was a different I was my only outgoing yeah and everything else like we know um growing up our parents had the, um, the Halifax book the little book the Halifax everyone almost everyone had yeah, yeah. do you remember that PR? I remember that indeed and literally I have, I have a copy of my book and it's in my room I said like, oh wow <laughs> I had like 3,000 pounds saved like where's that 3,000 pounds now when I listen it's to that financial now I'm actually if I knew about financial saving investments at, at that time I probably be, probably would have had a mortgage by now <laughs> <laughs> well this, this is this, this is this is the thing though isn't it because um, you know many people um are not exposed to uh, financial education mm. um, the way that we know it very early on. And so, like we just said, initially, it's, it's I want to make money, you know? Um, and you even have to be a specific type of person to um, want to make money and actually want to work, especially in this generation. I think there's quite a few lazy people. Let me not get attacked. But, um, you know, that's, that's what people's um, initial ideologies of money comes down to and these are people that have positive mindsets initially to give money they want to work for money and then they're also told to, to save which is what Kweku done now to save three thousand pounds at the age of what, what age was it i think uh, before i was 18 before you're 18 that is a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot of money for someone who's under 18 and you know just like we, we say if maybe we knew about investing in in things like index funds and that kind of stuff you could have put your money into to use back then and today you would have been a very very rich man but that's why we, obviously we do work finance and that's why work finance as a social enterprise we target 
um, the young ones from the ages of 11 to 21 with a specific focus much more on the 16 year olds because I think at that age um, you probably do start making money and you want to understand how to save it to use it um, and, and to serve you kind of thing rather than you serving money so very interesting quick it's I mean well done 3,000 pounds before 18 I definitely didn't have that much <laughs> and, I, and I thought I was rich I had about 500 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for real. And uh, thanks for sharing that, Quaker. I know you were talking about your first kind of job around the uh, paper round, etc. Jacks, I just realized I don't think I know this about you, but what was your first time you started making um, legitimate money? <laughs> um, it was, it was not that you was making uh, illegitimate money, but what was the first time you started? <laughs> <laughs> if I'm really honest, my first time making money was when I was in secondary school and I was playing an, an amazing game called Money Up The Wall. Hey. <laughs> so we used to play this game called Money Up The Wall and to be honest, it's absolutely pure gambling. It's, some people call it Penny Up The Wall. We called it Money Up and essentially during school, and I do not condone this by the way, but during school we used to, um, you know, people used to gather up maybe a, a group of five people and then we would throw um, our pounds. Whoever gets closer to the wall, basically has a chance of winning everyone else's pounds that was my initial um introduction to making money a horrible t- introduction we should have gone very very left if, if not for god because what you don't know is you're building habits and these were yeah. habits um but yes in terms of making real money um you know actually having a job i actually worked in telesales um and this is something that i think maybe i think you might have done it peter as well yeah 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 i worked in telesales for a bit and and we were paid about five pounds per hour which at the time was was quite substantial yeah um i didn't last long though because i absolutely despised it (laughs) (laughs) i was getting told no a few times and i don't like being told no um, so I, I didn't last long and to be honest I didn't very differently from the average person I didn't have um, like I, I never really worked in retail mm. um, I, I never really worked in retail um, and so really and truly my next source of income actually came from from student finance mm. it's just I from a very young age no you, you, sorry to interrupt you Jax you had EMA 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 so that's my income as well EMA was literally God bless whoever introduced EMA because every Thursday that £30 dropped to my account. Plus, we used to get some bonuses every so often. There were fantastic sources of income. Um, but yes, EMA and then obviously student loans and student grants were actually my raw sources of income between the ages of um, 16 to 21 until we actually began obviously working as um, full-time staff henceforth. Wow, man. Thanks for sharing that, man. And um, yeah, for our listeners, it's always just good to hear different people's journeys. And what this goes to show is that literally, you know, despite the different journeys you've had, it doesn't mean you can't create impact in some way um, across the world, man, and continue living out whatever dreams you have. So really appreciate um, sharing that. And yes, Jax, I was with you in that telesales job as well. I still remember the lines and four hour shift saying the same thing when we call people and ask them if they're the homeowner. And then we- Yes. <laughs> I remember it so well. 
That's it. I won't mention the company. They're not around normal, but no need to mention the company, but the same line for four hours and you'll call someone and they'll just literally say, they'll swear at you, tell you to get off the line, all sorts of, yeah. But, you know, it's a good experience to go through at 16, 17 years old. Um, but thanks for sharing that. Quakey, before we just go straight into Change for Ghana, um, you obviously also do some other things as well. Do you want to talk a bit more about that as well? Yeah, um, I'm also a chef, so Quaker's Kitchen. I'm a founder, head chef at Quaker's Kitchen. We are a catering, we're a catering company. Um, I started change. Um, sorry, I started Quaker's Kitchen um, f- through uni. I uh, started Quaker's Kitchen first year of uni, which was in 2000 and was first year of uni, second year uh, in 2011, I believe it was, and it literally just started as a here we go again, um, as a form of making income. I wanted to make money. I didn't want to work in retail because I just thought it would be a distraction. So I wanted to make money on the side. And I started a student, first African student-friendly takeaway in the Midlands at that time. I think it was probably one of the first, even, yeah, it was one of the first, actually, student-friendly takeaways, I think, that was made at the time. And literally, when everyone come to, to events in Leicester, literally, I used to sell... Jollof rice and chicken and plantain outside my boot after the motive. I'll be in the motive, partying with everyone. Then an hour before it finishes, the jollof is already made, loaded onto my car, come and sell it. I have I have three orders, you know, 10 orders. So I literally knew how many, how much quantities I was I was gonna sell that day. I used to sell it for five pounds, and you literally used to leave the event with five hundred pounds made. So whatever money I spent on drinks, if I spend that much money, I would have made my money back plus more. And I'll go home a happy man, sleeping the following on the Sunday, no, just resting. So <laughs> that's how Quaker's Kitchen started. And then, you know, from, I did it from the second year of uni, from the first year of uni to the fourth year of uni when I left. I was in, I changed courses after my first year. I was in psychology and sociology. Then I changed to study sociology by itself. So I spent four years in uni and it was literally a great experience. Well, what actually inspired me to start Quaker's Kitchen was when I was reading Robert's, um, Jack's favourite book. Yeah, Robert, Robert, K- Robert Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki, that's it. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And although I didn't follow the exact principles of, of you know, I was, I was, my money was made from my physical work, but it just was another way of generating income um, to allow me to focus on my studies whilst in uni. And, you know, since I came out, since uni finished, I graduated, I went to into more formal professional work I, I worked in architecture, so I put Quaker's Kitchen on hold for almost three years. Then just um, the work-life balance wasn't making sense for me, so I kind of took time away from work. I actually resigned from my job in November 2017, um, just because I was just fed up of the routine, repetitive lifestyle. No, this is not a bash at 95 workers. I love, I do, I'm still working 95 now, but I needed that break, and I thought that break was kind of what kind of reignited my love for my entrepreneurial journey and my love for doing what I love, which is Quaker's Kitchen, which has grown into a massive company now. Um, we've done weddings, we do traditionals, we do 60th birthday, 50th, you know, celebratory moments, we do weddings, we do christenings, you name it. So if you want a catering service, professional, respectful, punctual, then give us a shout. That's 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 amazing. Um and, you know, I love your entrepreneurial spirit. You know, it shows that you are someone who's a natural entrepreneur. Um, now, I, I wasn't a natural entrepreneur. I just liked to have fun. So just to um, relay off your, of your um, experience, 
at university as well. Um, you know, we I, I used to like partying as well. So I actually used to do events. Um, I used to have my own events um, at the University of Loughborough and I used to get people coming down from different universities and they will um, obviously charge people to enter the, the party. Um, so yeah, you know, it's one of those things in life, you know, if, if you enjoy something, um, why not? You know, if you can, uh, why not monetize it? Now, of course, I don't enjoy partying the way I used to, um, so I don't do events like that anymore. My passion is obviously like much more with education and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Also, guys, um, yeah, I have actually used Quaker's Kitchen a few times before. Um, I've used them. I use it for my barbecues, which I have every year for my birthday. Um, I've also used him personally as my personal chef. He was feeding me quite a few times when I was working in the city. He used to deliver food to me. Absolutely loved it. I had all my colleagues at work saying, hmm, what's that smell, Jack? What, what, what are you eating right there? I said, it's Quaker's Kitchens, um, jollof rice and chicken or fried rice and chicken, which are my favourite dishes. So, yeah, absolutely amazing, Quaker. Thank you. Brilliant, man. And Quaker, Jack loves his food. So if he's happy, Quaker's Kitchen must be banging, man. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, nice one for that, man. Really good to um, hear that from you, uh, Quake. And I guess now would be a good time to move in more into, I guess, uh, Change for Ghana as well and to find out a bit more about what Change for Ghana actually is, um, your inspirations for wanting to set it up um, and, and the need for a company like um, Change for Ghana. And, uh, yeah, it'll be good, Quake, if you can talk to us a bit more about what it is um, and why you set it up and some of your inspiration for that, I guess. Yeah, Change for Ghana is literally a non-profit organisation 